Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I am your host Connor Bromley and today I am joined by Harry Brent to talk all things Premier League and Champions League and what a weekend it was in the Premier League. And we're going to start with Manchester United. So I suppose if there is Manchester United fans listening to this, probably turn off. And if there's fans of other clubs, probably turn on and listen in intently. Uh, Harry, what, what did you make of the game at the weekend? And we'll start there, the Brighton game, and then we'll we'll maybe digest further back than that and maybe assess the further problems. What do you make of the overall game this past weekend for Manchester United? I mean, it was a... Nothing short of a disaster, I I think it's fair to say. It was a really, really abject performance. You know, I I do feel sorry for them in a way because the amount of off-field problems the club have had, uh, you know, at the start of the season between the Jadon Sancho stuff, the Anthony stuff, Greenwood, ownership debacle, injuries to key players... That's a lot to have gone wrong in the first month of the season. So there is a bit of a sense of some of some of the you know the situation isn't particularly completely inexcusable, but the performances are a big concern. I don't I I, I don't think I think United fans will be honest. There isn't a single performance they've produced this season that's been you know up to snuff. So um, it does remind me in in in, a, in some ways the situation that Chelsea found themselves in this time last year. Big ownership disruption and change at the top level injuries to key players that stuff does affect performances and and you know harmony in the dressing room and all that sort of stuff so as i say there is a bit of a sense that that some of this stuff is a bit explainable but yeah the 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 performances have not been good the start's not been good um i I do think that it's probably you know worth saying that it's, it's worth just trying to sort of you know keep keep the patience a little bit they had a good Good season last season. They appear to be going in the right direction, generally speaking, for the first time in ages. So maybe it's just a little bit about taking the rough of the smooth. But um, but yeah, if if, if you were mine and I find looking at that performance, you would be worried, and I, and I don't blame you. What would the blame factor be for the start of the season on Eric Ten Hag? Do you think he is the victim of all the things you've just mentioned there, or do you think that Eric Ten Hag? has been part of the problem because I'll think back to the game against Wolves at the start of the season where Man United were very lucky to get a win and he is continually either 
went with the referees when it's benefited him or against referees when it's not. Last week at Arsenal, he was criticising refereeing decisions, which I don't think were wrong. Is he deflected maybe too much from the bad performances? Or, you know, has he had a point with the, these issues he's had with referees? I mean, how much blame does Eric Ten Hag get for the start to the season for Man United? I think it's impossible when you're a manager to, to sort of not take some of the blame, generally speaking, of how your team is performing. I, I know exactly what you mean. That there is a bit of a sense that I, he does seem he does seem like a bit of a, a man under pressure, and I guess that's that's sort of understandable. Um, but he's yeah, he's he's certainly he's certainly not at fault. Obviously, you can you can point some of the the blame for the or plenty of the blame, depending on your view of the Jaden um, in terms of the Jaden Sancho situation. Uh, obviously, you know he's in charge of team selection, so that's got to that's got to come into it. I, I but I, I do sort of just feel that, generally speaking, United as an entity are in a bit of a mess, and I don't think if 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 there was a a better manager or a different manager, the results would necessarily be be much different. Who who knows? But but yeah, I, I, he's Eric Ten Hag isn't blameless, but I do feel sorry for him in, in the position he's currently in. What do you think happens with Manchester United next? If you know, I think they've got quite a kind fixtures coming up. I mean, I remember um, making a, a video about Man United's next five games, including the Brighton one in the Premier League thing, and they could really get ten to twelve to fifteen points if they play their cards right. But what happens if Manchester United, you know, stutter a little bit, stutter in the Champions League and continue to falter in the league and performances aren't good? I mean, is there any? situation in the next couple of months where Eric Ten Hag's job comes under question or do you think that Manchester United will you know ride the course with him he's the man for the future and this is just a bump in a very long road which will hopefully have lots of highs yeah I'd like to think it's a bump I I, I think it would be silly to consider Eric Ten Hag's job at any point this season I mean unless things get truly disastrous you know they just can't get out of the bottom half getting a relegation scrap or something ridiculous like that which I don't think will happen um, the, the sort of competitiveness of the Premier League now is so high that I think if, if you're a club going through a bad spell it's very hard to get out of it in some ways um, it's cliche but there aren't many easy I just sort of said that there aren't any easy games or many easy games in the, in the Premier League so I would suspect that probably this run will, will will carry on for 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 some time, and it will take United, given particularly given that this is how they've started the season, it will probably take them a long time to get out of this funk, or at least you know a few weeks. Obviously, yeah, a slightly kinder run of fixtures coming up, so there is hope that that they that they'll be able to change change their fortunes there. But um, yeah, I I think it's far too early to consider anything about Te- Eric Ten Hag's job. The, the the season they had last season has surely bought him at least you know. Six six to nine months of of slightly less good football, slightly less less decent performances. So, uh, yeah, we'll 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 see how it goes. We'll switch now to the other team in Manchester, who's enjoying a, a wee bit of a better time of it. It's fair to say at the minute, Man City won a tricky looking game at West Ham, and you know it, it looked like it was a tricky game. There was points, but obviously West Ham took the lead, and even when it was at level, West Ham had chances to win there, but. Man City kind of did what Man City do and and found a way. It felt like luck was against them in that game, to be fair, because the amount of chances they missed and the goalkeeping saves and it was it felt at one point like it wasn't going to be their day, but they, they found a way, uh, won the game 3-1. <laughs> Is it Man City's title to lose? Are we already in the territory right now where it looks pretty obvious it's going to be Man City unless something disastrous happens? 
I think so. I mean, they're just they're just too strong on paper, off paper. However, you want to look at it, they are just they are the team to be, aren't they? But I thought, yeah, I thought it was a really mature performance from from them against West Ham. Not that you expect anything else from a Guardiola team. They they're so sort of good at sticking to the script, keep doing what you're doing, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, West Ham have had great success this season. You know, grinding out results. I I think the victories against. Brighton and Chelsea, I think they had 22 and 24% possession uh, or something like that. So they're absolutely adept with, uh, with um, you know, grinding our results that way. But yeah, they're absolutely uh, uh, sort of top, top-notch mentality in that, in that performance. We're yet to see, Man- I don't think anyway, we're yet to see Man City truly being the sort of force that they were from about March onwards last season. But in some ways, I think that kind of bodes well for them because they've, They've they've started the season not particularly in blinding form, but they've won they've won all five games. So absolutely they're the team to beat. I apologize if my dog's barking in the background. Clearly something's upset her in the street. And uh, we'll switch course now. Liverpool left it late against Wolves. Um it felt like a return to the old for Liverpool in a lot of ways. You know, that they were first half was terrible, you know, fair to say, getting beat one nil, but they, they managed to change around Klopp, managed to to change the team and, and they dug in and got a really I felt an, an impressive result, and it makes me think that Liverpool are potentially the closest contenders to Man City this season. Yeah, definitely an argue, argument to say that. I think again, like with Man City, a, a just a mature performance. Uh, as you say, the first half was was disappointing from their perspective, and it would have been very easy to kind of lose lose a little bit of faith. I, I've been I've been impressed with with Liverpool in the last few weeks, particularly given that I thought that. Given that the, the summer that they had, and the fact that lots of their the core players in their in their team have been there for six, seven, eight, or five, six years, um, I thought they were going to have a little bit of a you know process of of getting back to their to their sort of old old ways. But I think they've that that experience has come in handy. But, you know, we saw it against Wolves, we saw it against Newcastle as well. Um, I think there's still a few question marks, though. I think. You know, you can't argue with the with the start they've made in terms of results, but I think there's, it's probably fair to say that obviously the performance against Newcastle was amazing in the context. But I think eleven when it was eleven versus eleven before the before the uh, red card, Liverpool was second best. As you know, you could argue that you know they have been in spells against Wolves, spells against Chelsea. So I think there's still a few creases to iron out, but. You know, you can't argue with the uh, with the with the wins they've they've already got on board. So, yeah, I think there's an argument to say that they could be uh, up there with uh, um, you know the the rest of the title contenders this year. So we'll see. What do you think represents a good season for Liverpool? Obviously, they're in the Europa League as well, so no Champions League football. Domestic competitions. A couple of years ago, they won both the domestic cup competitions. Do you think it's more realistic for Liverpool uh, to try and win? trophies that aren't the Premier League this year just sort of think right this is a year we're going to learn and grow and then the season after you know next summer buy and maybe a couple more players just to strengthen you know we know the areas of weakness we know that the centre-back cover you know Joe Gomez for, for me just he's, he's a championship player he's definitely not good enough to play for Liverpool right now probably due to the injuries he's had but I, there's holes in that Liverpool squad which you look at Arsenal and you look at Man City in particular, and you don't see the same holes. To me, it feels like Liverpool are next year could be a really big year for them. But do you think this year for them, it's just important to get in the top four and, and try and win some domestic cup competitions rather than thinking they're going to be involved in a potential title race? 
yeah, I, I obviously if you can win a cup competition, that'd be great. I don't sus- I don't suspect Liverpool will be particularly bothered by either the Europa League or particularly the domestic cups. I know obviously they didn't win anything um uh, last season, so they'll they'll want to sort of change that. But I, I think a good season for them will be staying in the title race for for a long period or even taking it to the end of the season. That it's not that long. I was obviously two this you know, this time two years ago, that, that was the last time they were uh, you know, the end of you know what I'm saying, the penultimate season before the before the last season they were in the they were in the title race. So it's not as if they're that far gone from from being a title challenging team. And I think the biggest thing for the club and for the fans is to sort of flex their muscles and say we are one of the best teams in the in in the Premier League again. I think they'd prefer that to finishing fourth, twenty five points behind Man City and winning the FA Cup. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think for them, it's just about getting back into contention with, with City. Um, but obviously, you know, given the fact that they're not in the Champions League this, this season and there's a little bit of the pressure, I guess you could argue is probably a little bit off them now that it might have given them an opportunity to go, to go on a cup run. But, um, I agree with what you're saying. There are still some, there are still some holes in that team. And, um, you know, I, I think over the next couple of years, we might be seeing like sort of Salah and, and you know, even possibly even Van Dyke being moved on. So there will be sort of jobs to do in terms of replacing those guys. And, uh, but yeah, I think, I think right now the job for them is just to, just to get back into uh, Premier League title contention, whether that's this season, we'll see. Speaking of title contenders, Arsenal picked up a big win at Everton. We all know that, you know, they don't have the best of records. They're no win since 2017 before yesterday. Even though it was only 1-0, to me, it never felt in doubt yesterday. I thought that Everton didn't present much of a threat and Arsenal were probably going to to find a way of scoring. I thought they were unlucky with the goal that got to sell out as well in the first half. That's a a different topic altogether. What did you make of of Arsenal yesterday? And do you think that they are showing, you know, title credentials as in the same way they did last season? I I think they are. And and I agree with what you said. It it never really felt in doubt, despite the fact, obviously, they have a poor record historically at Goodison Park and, you know, obviously just one, just one goal in it. But, um, I've, I've been very impressed with not not only the way that they've been, I think they, they started to grind out victories under Arteta, like most title winning, challenging teams do. But I've also been really impressed with the way that they've reacted to the sort of, I guess you could describe it as capitulation last season. There was a potential for that to really torpedo their confidence. And, and you know, we've seen that happen to teams before. Um you know, where something goes goes wrong the following season, there's a big reaction. I think they've started the season really well. The mood seems really good. Um, and they're grinding out results, winning winning on grounds they don't tend to win. So it went on. So, um, yeah, I, the, 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 sign, the signs are really good for them. Um, for me, in my eyes, I think they're probably still going to be the closest challenges to challenges to, to Man City. Um, but yeah, and, and, they, and they look to, you know, we'll see how the season pans out. So we're only five games in, but they seem to really have established themselves as a consistent title, title challenging team. And I, don't, I just don't see them going anywhere for, at least for the time being. Are there any holes in that Arsenal team? I mean, or whether or not there's holes in the depth, do you think that they still don't quite have the, we know Man City's a, you know, such an impressive team but do you think Arsenal still have areas where you go that's a little bit weak they could do with maybe spending some money there or do you think that Arteta's basically now got in his eyes a, a near perfect squad 
Well, I think that you mentioned that depth is still a problem. I think that, you know, you want three or four players who you can bring on from the bench who you think could could also be in the starting 11. I don't really think Arsenal have that anywhere across the pitch. I mean, they, they you know, obviously they've got good good goalkeeping depth uh, and, uh, you know, Jurian Timber, obviously, he's out injured now, but he's come in and provided some really good cover at the back. Um, but I think, you know, if if they get a big injury to Saka or Martinelli or Declan Rice or Martin Odegaard, that suddenly that team gets quite considerably weaker. So um, that that's one thing. And I think the other thing is, is they, I, in my eyes, they, they just need a, a reliable goal scorer. I don't necessarily think Gabriel Jesus can't be that. Um, and I know this sort of style of, of, of a, of a uh, you know, centre forward that Arteta wants isn't necessarily going to be, you know, a, an Erling Haakon type or, a, you know, some, you know, big sort of number nine character. Um, but I do think that if they had a sort of very reliable source of, you know, to striker who was getting 25 goals a, a season, that would, that sort of gets you over the line in the games where you might not be playing particularly well. And, you know, but a, you know, the goal scorer who just, who just can't be stopped, pops up, gets the winner. I think that will help them going, going forward, particularly if you're, if you're chasing a team like Man City, who are just ruthlessly, you know, r- r- they're just ruthless results churners. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I would, I would say that, but, but, you know, elsewhere on the pitch, so you can't really poke any hole, you know, poke any major holes in their, in their starting 11. Their, their starting 11 is, is, is top notch. Everton, any you know, a few words on them? It's it's been a hard start to the season. It's fair to say, then you know, as a an outsider looking in, if, and as a, a Sunderland fan historically who did this every single year, where they, they just somehow mm-hmm. stayed up, it feels like the, the egg timer is running out on Everton right now, and I just don't see them having enough to pick up the sort of eight to ten wins you need to survive. And I've seen nothing from the start of the season to suggest that they're going to get that. But what do you make of Everton? Do you think they've got a, a chance this season of, you know, just about keeping their heads above border? With Sean Dyche, that always feels like a bit of an ace in the hole. But I, I mean, I agree with your perspective on it. I, they, it does feel like it's just, a, it's just ticking, ticking down to the time where, where they go down. And in, in some ways I, I've always kind of thought with Everton as much as obviously their financial situation means this would be too great a risk to take, but going down and, and sort of having a bit of a reset could actually be quite good for them. But as I say, financially, I'm not sure that would that would work. Change of ownership, I guess, is the one thing that you could say might spark a bit of a, a bit of a change at the at the club. But you know, how much change are we going to see over the over the over the coming months in order to sort of get, change the fund that they're in at the moment? So, yeah, worrying worrying times. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be three teams that are that are worse than them this season. Looking looking at the start, so. Um, this might be this look shaping up to be this is the season when they finally uh when they finally kick it Tottenham um impressive you know 98 and 100 minutes I think it was they scored two late goals against Sheffield United to win it feels very different at Spurs this year you know I, I'm used to thinking you know Spurs were on the telly on a Sunday afternoon that's maybe the time where I go from I'll I'll, I'll maybe head out and do some chores because they were so terrible to watch under Jose and Antonio Conte. But now with Angie Postacoglu, I look at Spurs and I'm like, yes, give me some more Spurs. Get them on the telly every week. They just seem to be exciting. I love the manager. I love the way he talks. His press conferences are amazing. 
And I love the way that they play at the minute, you know, and this is a neutral who's got no real interest in Spurs. I'm just enjoying what's happening there. <laughs> and it was so good. I mean, cruel on Sheffield United, yes, but so good to see them do that because Spurs over the years just have looked like a bit of a, considering where they were under Pochettino, a bit of a, a sort of a die, well, not dying, but fallen. You know, they, they were, they got the Champions League final and from there it's been a pretty steep decline. But yeah. The mood feels so different at Spurs. What do you make of Posta Coglu and, and also their ability to turn that game around so late at the weekend? Yeah, that that was a big statement. I, I think obviously there are question marks over over the performance initially, but that would have been such a huge lift. I mean, you heard the 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 reaction from the stadium and saw after the game the reaction of the players. There seems to be a really you know loads of togetherness in the in the squad. Great cohesion on it. Um, yeah, I mean, Postacoglu, it's been said a thousand times, he's been an absolute breath of fresh air there. They've, they've After four years of dismally negative football, uh, as you say, under under Mourinho and and and, and Conte, it, it, you know, it really does feel like a, a sort of weight has, weight has been lifted. Expansive, exciting football. Um, yeah, and, and, and Postacoglu is super, super impressive. I, you know, obviously his, his record speaks for itself. He's, he's been successful pretty much everywhere he's gone. Uh, I didn't expect him to hit the ground running as quickly as, as as they have, particularly you know losing Harry Kane so late in the window. Um, part of me wonders whether losing Kane, like you know, just ha- having him gone after such a sort of continuing saga of will he leave, won't he leave, whether that's been a bit of a lift in sort of in terms of that you know now that he's gone, they can have a bit of a mental reset. Like right. This is a new. This is a new Tottenham now. Not to say that Kane was was bringing them down in any way. Obviously, him being in this team, who knows where they'd be. But I, I sort of wonder whether that might actually be, have been a bit of a psychological, uh, you know, psychologically beneficial for them. But um, we'll see how we'll see how long this um, how long this good run of form goes on. Obviously, there there's been a few little little wobbles. Obviously, they could have very easily lost that game against Sheffield United. Drawing with Brentford, uh, you know, leading to following the Carabao Cup. There's, there's been a few little wobbles. We'll see how how far it, it it carries on, but the signs are very good. And yes, Ostercoglu is going to be very very fun from a neutral perspective and a Tottenham perspective. Sheffield United, um, Paul Heckenbottom, pretty critical of referees saying that they're almost dictating how his team has to play. I think it was a, to do with the, the goal kicks and the, the potential time wasting. Do you think he's correct in his criticisms? You hear this quite a lot from managers where they criticise referees in the sense of they've never played the game so they don't understand, they don't have the the insight that a player would have. Do you think these are fair criticisms or do you think this is a manager who was just reeling after conceding two late goals um, at the end of the game and, and just needed to vent about something that's what it felt like to me i mean you can it totally understandable in some ways you lose a game in that in that uh style and you're gonna you you're just gonna want to vent and and be angry for for a little bit um i can understand the the sort of perspective of you know referees have never played the game i mean obviously it's a bit silly considering they've may not have played the game, but they've been around, they, you know, they're around the game all their lives. They know, you know, they know everything inside out, but obviously that there's a bit of a kind of meticulousness of the way that, that referees look at the game, whereas footballers coaches have a more sort of general o- overview of everything. So I guess there's a kind of clash there, you know, officials and, and uh, players and managers are never going to see the game in exactly the same way. Um, 
<laughs> I do think that there, there probably needs to, we need to start in, you know, discouraging that sort of stuff. I, I, I don't think being overly critical about the, about the officials is, is particularly helpful, especially given the sort of legs that the PGMOL are now going to, to try and sort of, you know, put right their the, the wrongs and, and rectify mistakes. So, um, you know, the the, the 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 comments he made about about supposedly the referees trying to get get Sheffield United to play long in order to avoid a, 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 a you know getting sent off for time wasting that's a, potentially a, a worry. But as I say, you know, in the in the heat of the moment, you just sort of wonder whether that was just him him just having a just having a pop for the sake of having a pop. Who who knows? But uh, yeah, sympathy sympathy for Heggenbottom, Particularly, he, you know, he's reports this week saying he might you know be clinging to his job a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I think that was just a bit of an emotional reaction rather than anything sort of more concrete. And I'm going to tug in cheeks here, but a relegation battle yesterday afternoon, Chelsea against Bournemouth, not really a relegation battle. I don't think Chelsea are going to be in any danger. Um, a nil-nil draw, but again, Chelsea just kind of finished that dinner, can't they? They're just, you watch them play and it, it, it's pretty much good until they get in the box and then they all just can't kick a ball straight. They miss kicking it. They they're hitting the post. They keep us pulling off good saves. And I feel like this has been the case for Chelsea for over twelve months now. Every time I watch them, I think they aren't actually that bad, but they just don't have anyone to to put the chances away at the end. And I do wonder if you know Romelu Lukaku would have just been the right person to just finish off these chances because when he was at Manchester United, we all know that he was. So good against the, the the lower teams in the Premier League. He's right good against the, the better teams isn't the best. But against the teams like Bournemouth, he scores goals. And I, and I just wonder if Chelsea just lack a player like him right now, if, if he would have just fit in nicely to the way that this team is playing. But <laughs> I mean, what's your, you're a Chelsea fan. What's your views here? What, what do you make of the results so far this season? And particularly yesterday where they just couldn't put their chances away. Yeah, it's it's Taylor's all this time at, at at this point. I mean, you say it's it's been the problem. has been a problem for Chelsea for for twelve months. I mean, you could even argue it's been a problem since Diego Costa left in twenty eighteen, and and then Eden Hazard in 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 twenty nineteen. Since then, I don't think there's anyone really in Chelsea squad who you can say has been an absolute reliable source of goals. And that is that is the the biggest of 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 several problems that they have. I think losing Christopher Nkunku in preseason was very very crucial a big a big loss in in that regard because other than Raheem Sterling I guess he's the only player in that in that squad with a reliable record of of goal scoring and even Raheem Sterling you know got a lot of goals you wouldn't necessarily class him as a as as a world class finisher in any in any regard but in Kunku's record in, in the Bundesliga was was you know amazing so I, I do sort of sympathize for them in in that in in that sense but you need more than one got one reliable goal scorer in a team, and this has been Chelsea's problem for so long. Um, in terms of the performances, glimpses of brilliance in in every game. Uh, so I think in that sense, there's reason to be semi optimistic for for Chelsea. I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest they're better than they are than they were last season. Um, but yeah, it, I, you know, it, it it it'll just be about you know finding that source of source of goals, but also the. Um, there's been, a, you know, lots of uh, big benefits to having such a young, exciting squad full of full of young players and all that sort of stuff. But I think that in the games that they've dropped points at Bournemouth, not Nottingham Forest, and West Ham, um, in particular, they uh, a lot of 
immaturity in the way that they've handled, particularly the second half. They've sort of lost a little bit of discipline. Uh, you know, let, they almost let the game get away get away from them, even though they're the ones chasing it. And I think I saw um, I, I saw a report that Thiago Silva was was disappointed with with his teammates for sort of losing discipline at the end of that uh, Bournemouth game. And you know, you do sort of wonder whether filling your squad with with a load of you know 20, 21 year olds you know this is this is becoming a bit of a problem for them where they sort of don't have that level headedness in order to see them over the line like we saw with man city and and, and liverpool who's you know very good at sort of sticking to their guns and having that sort of ability to just grind things out stick to the script um but you know who 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 knows i i don't think chelsea will be nearly as bad as they were last season but evidently they're still going to it's still going to take a lot of time for all the kinks to be ironed out I think they've got the right manager at the helm to to get this to work, um, but you know who who knows how long he'll be he'll be given. So uh, we'll see. But um, you know, little little showings of positivity, but a lot of negativity to talk about. So you know, big big few weeks ahead for Chelsea. Do you think Chelsea's from the outside looking in Chelsea's transfer policy, apart from just buying everyone, but the age profile of the players suggests to me that. You know, maybe Todd Bowley is not necessarily thinking that this year is going to be... I think last season, he thought the players that they bought would turn them into title contenders, as I'm going to guess. You know, I think he genuinely thought they were going to be that good. I think he's 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 potentially, you know, more realistic at this point now. They've they bought a lot of young players, and I think anybody who knows anything about football knows that it'll take a good amount of time for a new manager with a lot of young players to, to get clicking. Do you think in his mind, this is the amount of money they've spent now is to benefit them in two or three years time where this group stays together, learns together and figures out how to, to win games of football on the regular. Do you think that Chelsea are actually just at the, the first year of maybe a three or four year rebuild where the end goal in four years is to be title contenders, not the current goal right now. And um, the current goal right now is probably just to learn as a group and try and, you know, finish in the top sort of eight. Yeah, I I think that's probably right. I you know that there are definite signs that this that there is a there is a sort of detailed structured project that 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 is sort of being created. Whether or not it works is another question. But I I do I I definitely think that's the case. I don't I don't think I don't think that there would be all you know thirty thirty million pounds on six, seven, eight, nine youngsters that most people in the Premier League fans have never even heard of is is evidence of someone who expects to win the title, uh, you know, as soon as possible. Um so yeah, I, d- I do think there is sort of long long term long terminism here. And and I think the hiring of Pochettino in some ways is is sort of evidence of that as well. He's his sort of record of not only improving players, but molding youngsters and getting them to sort of work for him and and if if anything, you know, his time at PSG sort of proved exactly that that you know managing the kind of players at the peak of their powers who are not particularly moldable isn't isn't quite the thing that he's best at. So putting him in charge of a group of players who perhaps, as you say, in two, three, four years are going to blossom into these fantastic players that's that's the absolute uh, perfect situation for him. And I, I do think that 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 has been considered. So yeah, I, I think I don't I don't think there's any sort of great concern if if Chelsea have a bit of a disappointing year but um you know they need to be showing some improvement from from last season and uh yeah so I you know I, I still think that 
it's 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 getting a little bit harder to say given the start that Chelsea have had. I I thought before the season began, a top top four finish would be the aim. I don't think that that's necessarily what they were going to do, but top four finish would be aim. Probably like to revise that a little bit and say maybe your Europa League spot will now be the aim. And if they can do that, that I think that would still constitute a pretty good season for them. We'll switch now, last sort of few minutes of the podcast, to the Champions League. Um, AC Milan v Newcastle, to me, that's the, the standout fixture just because it's been 20 years since Newcastle were in the Champions League. And I, I think if you said to a Newcastle fan three years ago that they'd be in the Champions League at this point, they would have laughed in your face very loudly. But here they are. They are back in the Champions League. Do you think form in a lot of ways, goes out the window for Newcastle. We know, you know, they've not had the best start of the season. Even at the weekend they won, but they weren't particularly good. Um, do you think this is just a special night for them that will, you know, live in the annals of time, you know, that they're back on the in the big time and they're playing a, a, a sexy fixture, it's fair to say, you know, AC Milan away at the said zero. Do you think this is going to be a, a good night for Newcastle fans? And do you think it's also going to be a good watch for the neutrals? It should it should be. I mean, AC Milan are in good form as well, so uh, that you know it should, it should be a bit of a tasty one. But yeah, I I don't particularly think there needs to be too much focus on performance or or you know and uh, anything like that in terms of Newcastle fans. This is just a night for for enjoyment, as you say. You know, so long, but, but you know they've been out of the Champions League and they're finally back in. I I almost think that. Uh, you know, I haven't spoken to any Newcastle fans about this, but I'd hazard a guess that they're actually quite pleased with the group of death with PSG and Dortmund and AC Milan because it's almost like that's that's the way you want to do it. You want to just have a baptism of fire, go into it, and in, in there just enjoy yourselves. And in some ways, it might actually take the pressure off them a little bit. As I don't, as much as much as I think they absolutely could, uh, you know, emerge from that group as as group winners. I, I don't, I don't think if they, they don't get out of the group, I don't think anyone will particularly be too furious so it sort of frees them up to have a little bit of fun with it and just enjoy themselves and obviously the Newcastle fans will but uh, you know even for Eddie Howe who probably will you know absolutely want to push himself and get out of the group I think even if they don't they can still sort of enjoy this this uh, this campaign of just being back in and then you know focus on building for 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 the following seasons I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if they finished third got in the Europa League and went on a run in that competition that, that would probably suit them quite well Man City they're playing Red Star, well, Red Star Belgrade is what I suppose we historically called them, but I'm going to stick with that because I don't know if I can say their current name. So Red Star Belgrade, we'll go with that. Um, this just feels like a typical Man City 6-0 win in Europe, doesn't it? Ale and Holland will probably score four goals and get subbed off on 55 minutes. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, this is this is, has got an only Holland hat trick written, written all over it. Yeah, I... You know, I think this is this is this will just be routine. I think you expect to see City play a few a few of their uh, rotational stars, but uh, anything less than a win here would be would be a, a shock. And we talked about Man United at the the top of the podcast, but they've got a probably a game they really don't want. Bayern Munich away. It's, it's arguably the worst fixture maybe you could have as an English team in Europe right now Bayern Munich away and Harry Kane coming up against a Premier League team so I imagine Harry Kane will, will probably be desperate to to get on and play this game Do you, is this the last thing that Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag need right now a horrible away trip to, to Bayern Munich in a strange way it's got the potential to sort of light the fire underneath them and 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 
obviously a, a result there could kickstart their season, but obviously at the same time, given the form they're in, this is this is not the fix you want. I mean, th- th- there's there's a bit of a sense that the performance Bayern's performances under Thomas Tuchel haven't been particularly incredible. So, I don't think Bayern are unbeatable, even even in Man United's situation. I don't think they're un, un, unbeatable by any stretch. Uh, the Kane situation is, is interesting. Obviously, Man United linked with him for so many years. It, again, to, it does have a bit of a Harry Kane 89th minute winner written all over it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I think if it, the the problem will, will be for United if it, if it's if it's a heavy defeat that can really sort of sort of, you know change change the mood to a very sort of panicky one. So uh, that will be the only thing to avoid. But again, it's an opportunity for them potentially to just turn their fortunes around. And Arsenal, um, they're against PSV. So this is in a way similar to Newcastle. I mean, I, I would say that it's not really Arsenal. I don't know how many years in the Champions League they've played, but I met, they've only missed the last four or five years. They've not been in it. It's the only time that they've missed being in it. Um, but they're back in there. Um, I feel like Arsenal probably got more eyes on the Premier League than the Champions League. Maybe that's just me, but I feel like Miguel Arteta probably is targeting Premier League success over Champions League success. But this one, like Newcastle, it's for the fans, isn't it? They can get the Champions League music back at the Emirates Stadium and feel like a, a genuine big club again. After a few years where I think Arsenal have, have had the tail between their legs a little bit, particularly under Unai Emery, where it just looked like they were going nowhere fast. Mm. Yeah, I, know, I, I think uh, the last time I saw it, it was just before they signed Granite Xhaka. I just remember knowing that Xhaka, um, I don't think has played ever played in the Champions League with Arsenal. I might have that slightly wrong, but anyway, that, that was my uh, thinking on that. Um, yeah, a, a great opportunity for them. I, I do think there is a sense, as you say, that it, that it will just be a bit of a celebrate celebratory night. But at the same time, I think Arsenal have got quite a good opportunity here to, this is the first time in probably since the mid-noughties that you can say Arsenal are a ge- are genuine contenders for the for the Champions League. And there's probably a bit of a, a bit of a responsibility for them to not only win but win quite comfortably and really kind of establish themselves as 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 contenders you know uh so yeah i think i think that you know a, a, a really sort of comfortable uh, you know comprehensive win there could could really set the tone for a good uh, for a good tournament for them Yes, it's going to be exciting to finally have the Champions League back. It always feels like the season's properly underway when we get the the Tuesday and Wednesday night games in the Champions League. Harry, thanks for coming on this morning. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back later in the week to talk, well, probably reviewing these Champions League games and seeing who won and who lost. So thanks everyone for listening today and we'll catch you soon.